Hi, I'm Tim Sonova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck Live, the morning-ish show. On today's episode, Lauren and I are joined by Micah and Noah Scalin. Micah and Noah lead Another Limited Rebellion, an arts and innovation consultancy. They are our first of several guest duos joining us on the show in the next few weeks. They know each other well and have been collaborating together their entire lives, as in addition to business partners, they're also siblings. They've done a great deal together and separately, and I've pulled a random selection of things from their bios for this intro, including they co-authored the book, Creative Sprint, Six 30-Day Challenges to Jumpstart Your Creativity. Noah's Skull a Day Year is chronicled in his book about it, and Micah is one of the humans behind Dogumenta, America's first art show for dogs. Without further ado, Micah and Noah, welcome to the show. Thanks. So glad to be here. I'm still laughing from the green room. <laughs> I've never been on a morning show before. This is awesome. (laughs) We're doing a whole bunch of things totally differently today. The two of you are going to start off by leading us in a creative sprint, right? Yeah. Micah, do you want to explain what a creative sprint is real quick before we do it? Yeah, sure. I'll even like use the book, which is now out of print, but this is the creative sprint book, six 30 day challenges, not a plug because the book is not in print, but This came out of an online challenge we run and a program we do with our clients that is using small, very small creative prompts to spur a short, say, three to five minute creative action as part of a daily creative practice development process. In other words, do something creative every day for 30 days. We give you a bunch of ideas for what to do. And we're going to do it right now. We thought that's a great way to start this podcast. And we're really exploring themes around creative connecting, which we'll talk about a little more. So here is your prompt. Noah, do you want to say the prompt? Sure. So if your life right now was a Netflix series or some other show or TV show movie, what would it be called? That's the question. <laughs> so don't, you don't have to answer Your me. life you can, right uh, now you can as a Netflix series. That. And then answer as you want in the chat or uh, title. some other way. So say, say for your one life. more time. Okay. So it is, if your life right now were a Netflix show or series, what would it be called? We have some of our own thoughts about what these answers could be for ourselves already. So we can share some or we can wait and leave you in suspense. I think we should end. wait. I think we should okay. put that out there just to yeah. see that. Oh, and um, tantalizing. We'll prompt in the chat. And if you come up with one that's good, you want to share it in the chat. Go ahead and put them in there as we go, and maybe we'll respond to them, or we'll just collect some of the best ones and share them at the end. And I want to hear from Tim and Lauren and Noah, and I will all share ours at the end, at the end. as a closing. So the point being, though, a creative prompt like that, it just gets your brain going, starts the wheels turning, gets you thinking laterally, and spurs additional creativity in your life. So that's there you really go. That's really awesome. Yeah, that's terrific. I can do this. I think I can handle this. I'm going to be percolating on it. But so, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. There's a lot going on this morning. We are nothing if not our personalities. <laughs> so Tim gave y'all the hodgepodge of an introduction, but can you tell our viewers sort of how you typically introduce yourselves? You know, if you were meeting people on the street or just as you're going about your work, anything that you feel like is particularly germane to this conversation? I usually just say I'm an artist, author, activist, and space pirate, but that doesn't generally help anybody. Micah, how would you describe what we do as a company when you talk to people? We call ourselves an art and innovation studio, and it's a partnership between my brother and I, Noah, where we look for opportunities to 
raise the value of the arts in general and artists. And by value, I mean, get people paid money. And the way we've been doing that in the past couple of years has been working within leadership development and professional development programs, mostly providing training and speaking engagements, but also sometimes art engagements within very large businesses. So we typically serve large organizations that are already pretty invested in training and development in that way. But we also serve the creative development of the individuals in those organizations and just the larger community. We help those organizations, you know, reach out to their community, whether it's within the organization or outside the organization through creative and arts engagements. That's kind of wordy. Does that make sense? What does that look like when you work with organizations to do that? It takes a lot of forms. So we do a lot of work where I'm going in or Mike is going in sometimes and we're doing keynote speeches or we're doing workshops, usually a combination of those. And also then long-term engagements with organizations where we're helping them use the tool we just talked about, the Creative Sprint, to develop the creative capacity of everyone in the organization. I once had the unfortunate, also fortunate opportunity to keynote next to Noah. So I'm like talking about like arts administration and Noah's like, hey, I did this project where I made a skull a day and here's a lot of cool photos about it. I'm like, God, this is really boring for me to be like talking about like ticketing software and stuff. Yeah, at least go before me. (laughs) Well, I mean, we seek to entertain and I think that's, I always feel like this might be a lot of really out of the you're really out there for a lot of people that we communicate with. So a lot of times I'm just like, well, we at least provide an interesting moment in their day. That's like, maybe that's the best we can do. But you know, at the same time, what I love to be is the weirdest person in the room for the engagements that we're doing. And like, that's actually a sweet spot for us is to, you know, I've been in conferences where it's all people that are bankers or people who are doing programming, software programming, who are, you know, these are very serious, very linear types. And I'm coming in doing wacky stuff, but it allows people a way in to talk about the more deeper, important topics that we have to share. And I like that that's engaging in that way because we aren't coming in sort of just doing a fun thing that is sort of considered like team building. We're really coming in doing something that's more profound and meaningful for an organization. Can you tell us a little bit about your name? I'm fascinated by the idea of limited rebellion. There's a lot in there. Yeah, another limited rebellion started originally, it was at my design firm. And then when we shifted over to our work as consultants, we kept the name, but the name really originated in the late 90s. And it was my sort of punk rock joke, because I had been involved in the punk rock scene in New York City, Lower East Side. And I was watching people in 1997, dressing like it was 1977. And I was like, you guys, this is 20 years old, and you're still doing this thing. And and so I just had this idea about the sort of self-effacing sort of idea of my favorite music at that time, things like Minor Threat that sort of made fun of themselves and were aware and conscious, but also still doing it anyway. So how can you be an activist, but also know the work you can do is but so much and don't Mm -hmm. give up and keep doing it. And so being funny about that made sense to me. And it's just rolled into our company. And somehow, I think it still makes sense. We considered, should we change the name when Noah and I teamed up and really pivoted what the business was doing from graphic design to this sort of training and consulting? And then we were just like, no, actually, it really makes sense to say another limited rebellion now inside the context, like coming into a context of business, teaching them creativity. So thanks for asking. Well, and I want to add one thing, because before you actually, as you're transitioning from like graphic design into the new version, Fractured Atlas worked with you to design this cool logo. So Noah, you actually designed the Fractured Atlas logo that's now in the upper whatever corner of the screen. So that's where we got to, we first worked together and met. And I think that was maybe what it seemed like one of your last 
graphic design projects because I remember being like, yeah, can you do this thing? And you're like, I'm sort of starting to do this other thing right now. So it's funny because I, yeah, I was near the end of that period, but I actually designed your website too. The original website. Yeah. The original website. Or like the version one time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just funny because I was like, I did a lot with you guys. And so I love to come back around, circle back around with this different point in my life and our lives. Well, and it ended up with someone, it must have been maybe a campaign that you're running, a fundraising campaign, got a print of the United Skulls of America that hung in our Fractured Atlas office until like a couple months ago when we got rid of the Fractured Atlas office. And that was a big question, like who was going to take the print from the office because we didn't need it anymore. I don't know who got it. One day it was just like off the wall and someone took it. So we have the logo. We had that print in our office for a number of years. So now that we're live, I'm just relaying that information to you. And if the person who has it is listening, feel free to drop us a line so we know where it ended up. (laughs) I read this really interesting article about right before he died, Biggie left a belt in like Vibe or Source's office. He had to change for a shoot and forgot his belt. And like this belt was passed on from staffer to staffer over like 10 years. And he died like three weeks later. It was like the legend of this belt. And so the writer put out like this APB, like who of the many people who've turned over into this office have this belt right now? And eventually it sort of resurfaced. It's being kept in an undisclosed location in like somebody's mama's house basement. But I feel like this print could I take like on that, that life, if, you know? If my print is as sort of amazing as Biggie's belt. I've achieved something like <laughs> I bet you didn't think that we'd be covering this on the live stream today. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> I didn't think so either, but it popped in my head and I went with it. Yeah, no, I think it's timely. One of the things I really enjoy about the work that you two do is that some of it's seemingly simple. I mean, I, I think back to the Skull a Day and then some of the stuff that's come out of Creative Sprints, where it's like, I just use these sugar packets and something that I interact with every day to create something new and beautiful and different. And I love that as an entry point to just the things that we're surrounded with. You can be creative with, you don't have to have a studio and paints or quiet time to compose or space to choreograph, but that everyone has this in them. Yeah, that's very much on purpose. We really wanted our work to be accessible. We wanted it to be that something that anybody could do, that anybody could find time for in their schedule, that anybody could benefit from. We really designed all the things that we do as a company to have that quality so that it actually works. We don't want it to be something that's like, here's the secret sauce of some famous person and it's impossible to replicate because of their life experience and the benefits they have because of where they were born or who they are or who the parents are, whatever it is. Like that shouldn't be a factor in this type of work. I'm really curious to hear how your work has shifted or changed, has it, over the last couple of weeks? No and I've been thinking about this. We had a sort of reflect on this last week as well. And it was interesting to think like well, obviously, there's no more travel to big, like, fancy events with executives coming from all over the world, because that was definitely something that Noah and or I would be doing once or twice a month as of, like, last year. And in fact, yeah, so that changed. We're not doing that anymore, at least not, probably not for the rest of 2000. I don't know if that will ever be something that really happens in the same way as it used to anytime in our, I don't know, who knows. So that's not happening. And so because of that, you know, our sort of delivery method, how we're getting our content to our clients and community and our language that sort of explains the value right now has to be changed. You can't kind of keep saying the same thing and our sort of positioning around that. But ultimately, the cool thing is what's really stayed the same is that our values, our core message and our process didn't change, which is cool. We could really rely on that 
to carry us through this. It, it took a minute for us to kind of stop and address that. We did have a little bit of like, I would say like an early warning. And I actually want to, this ties into this conversation, but Noah and I were even talking to some friends and colleagues in Asia and, and hearing that things were changing kind of as of February, I think day-to-day life was already changing for them. And then we had a client that was organizing a global event that had to be postponed that was happening beginning of March. So this is all like kind of two weeks before everything hit everybody that it was happening here. So we were sort of already like, oh, this is already sort of changing our Q2 business planning. Uh Uh-oh, like this is something percolating. And then, I mean, we both already worked from home, so that wasn't a change. But yeah, the cool thing was we really spent time touching base and talking to people right away as those changes right away emerged. And hearing, and even not only that, people reaching out to us, like clients, friends, colleagues, students from that sort of corporate client, I mean, all areas reaching out to us and asking us for stuff, asking us to do stuff, asking us to do a program, or just like telling us that something they learned from us was valuable right now. So that also like helped us see that we didn't need to change that core message. It was still hitting people. In fact, they were thinking about it now in this moment of crisis. So that I think really helped us to realize this core content message and strategy is really helpful. Now let's just figure out how we can repackage it and deliver it in a way that is meaningful and still has the same value to people. So that's been our little challenge. I would say like in the first week, I personally got like a dozen emails from people saying, when are you going to do another creative sprint? We need something right now. I mean, it was like a real sense of like, what we did was on top of mind for people, which was wild to be like, wow, this is how valid this stuff is. We knew it was valid. We knew it was something you needed when there was an emergency. And that's why we always tell people to practice and to do this stuff before there's an emergency. But to see like people in the emergency going, this is the thing we need right now. And we had a great client who wanted uh, we were about to do something in person and immediately said yes we can switch to virtual and we were like we had never done that specific thing virtual before and so we did a really quick turnaround on like creating a virtual version of one of our most popular workshops and presentations and that was amazing and then we got a great feedback on it right away what's crazy is that literally in february of this year i was in portland with hundreds of people speaking to them and it was just so weird to go like i was just in this hotspot area and then a month later it's like it seems crazy and i wouldn't even like it's scary to look at a picture of that many people that tightly packed together one of the things that we get a lot of questions about is how do you actually do the thing i mean we get questions about like how do you do the podcast a lot of questions about what platform we use for streaming this live stream which is Streamyard. we have no sponsorship deal with them but would maybe take one but as people are wrestling with how does this thing move online what did you actually use to make something that was built for 3D and put it online? What tools did you use? How did you have to rethink the way you were interacting with people? Well, I think one of the first things that's really cool is that we had already been working virtually to some degree. So Creative Sprint was already something we used email for. And certainly, you know, we love a live interactive session. It's really fun to have people in the same room. There's a very specific energy that's generated from it. But we had already been practicing. And Micah and I, because we were working virtually with each other for years, and we're not in the same city. So I'm in Richmond, Virginia. She's in Brooklyn, New York. We've been working virtually for many, many years. We're already used to this platform as a way to interact with each other. And we practiced and played in it. So it wasn't an entirely unfamiliar thing. I know you're talking about tools. But again, in terms of Tools are one thing. You can have all the tools, but if you are not actually, you know what I mean? You have to think about content as it fits the tools. It's so interesting, but like, I feel like we've gone back in time for me because about 10 years ago, I was in the field of helping people get their heads around how to get content onto digital platforms at the very early stages, like doing online video pre-YouTube and trying to work with arts organizations, then eventually like television and stuff. So to me, I kind of feel like we've gone back to the past, but on the other hand, 
pushed up against a wall, everyone's figuring it out and figuring it out really amazingly. So I think you can certainly use tools. There's no shortage of tools and there'll be more tools. But I really think it's thinking about content and format. And Noah and I were lucky because we a lot of the content we developed to share with our clients is based on experiences Noah and I had developing creatively, using the internet and digital communication tools to develop creative content. So does that make sense? Yeah, I agree um, with you. Tool-wise, I- like Zoom, what else? <laughs> email, email MailChimp, Zoom. <laughs> Fax machines. Well, it's funny because Scala Day was a blog. And so talking about pre all the current technology, like it's amazing that we've got so many ways now and so many rapid, easy tools to use. And that, I mean, Micah and I both have done live video stuff with our various projects years ago when it was really hard to do. And so to be able to just jump on this and do this now is amazing. I think you're right around the, there's something about having to do things virtually that really strips bare the quality of your content. And to me, that's such an opportunity because the networking and the co-presence that happens in events, like if someone doesn't like your stuff, they're still going to hang around the convention hall or whatever, talking to people and they're going to leave feeling good. Even if they hated every single one of your formal presentations, but there is some, I think the opportunity here is like organizations get it really, really tight about how the quality of their content and the way things are structured. And then perhaps take some of that stuff back out into the real world with them. While also, I think, maintaining this digital piece, hopefully forever because of the accessibility components. I think the hardest shift for me, just as somebody who's a public speaker and who does a lot of presentations to large audiences, is that I'm used to that audience feedback. And so just my first few talks where there's just this silence and people are staring at you like you're on TV. I want an expressive face to show me you got what I just said or a nodding head. And sometimes people are just so used to looking at a screen blankly. And so we did do some work to build in some tools to create a little more of that noise so that we get a sense of whether or not this was hitting, this was resonating. Because you want to be able to, you know, if you're going to do something live, you want it to connect with that audience instead of just over, you could just watch a video of me giving a talk. But I want to have a live experience with you when I'm doing a live presentation to a client. Yeah, I think we're still exploring. I think, like you said, I love this. You guys, it's two people talking that provides that thing. So you don't have that awkward, like, you're just like riffing and it's getting weird. So it's like that sort of having another. <laughs> I mean, it person. still happens. Yeah, Micah. we still have plenty of awkward. Like, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah like, but like three minutes. Brand, though. <laughs> <laughs> having another individual live with you rather than just you and like this void of like, yeah. And, and we, we definitely worked on like, again, we're still learning and collaborating with people to figure it out, which is great because we get to work with these really, really big companies that are often very technical anyway they're kind of game. Well, like, what are your best practices right now? Like, let's explore some of them together so that we can learn new stuff. And that's kind of, I think also it's what it was always about with our clients, this sort of collaborative mindset. But I think it, I'm excited because I think it has the opportunity to even be a little more so right now because they're also kind of open to that. And I mean, Micah, I we'll, you just doing a practice or sort of an experiment right now on Instagram, which I really was excited to see. She's doing collaborative art making. I shouldn't speak for you. You can talk about it. You know, I see these spaces... No one I've always used the web as a creative development tool. And it was something I always tried to like hammer into people's heads like 10 years ago. And I think people are getting it now too. Like what's what people like? The rawness, the authenticity. Like you said, if it's too polished on the internet, it seems fake and people actually don't like it. It's actually not what they want. They want to have a nice polished streaming experience when they sit down and Netflix for seven hours. But when you're on the internet, you kind of like, it feels more, it needs to feel live, authentic, or else people are going to drop off if it's not this insanely crafted experience. So I think that liveness and that question mark of like, what's going to happen next is crucial to creating this content. So I think it's a space for experimentation. And I hope that other artists and creatives, I think they are doing that now. You know, I think that's exciting. So I'm doing it myself. So that like, I, 
um, doing just creative sprint prompts with people. We have a big community on Instagram from those creative sprints. So just calling on folks and we just, just do one of the prompts together for about 20 minutes on Instagram live. And that's the experiment this week. We'll see where that goes next week. <laughs> nice. That's great. I've had conversations with my classes that I teach around like, what does the online experience look like? And fortunately, we started this early in the semester about like, what's an online meeting look like? How is it different or similar from an in-person meeting? And it's been interesting now that everyone's gone online in classes and meetings and thinking about like, how do you manage your energy? How do you include different voices? When you used to be in the room, you could tell people, you could see people shift. It's been really interesting to watch late night talk show hosts who you can see this evolution of like, I'm just talking to a screen. There's nothing coming back at me. And like over the past couple of weeks, how they've had to adapt the content and the way they interact to just for 500 people, not giving them immediate feedback. But I think from a participant standpoint, like how you can actually signal this through a Zoom call, like you might need to nod a little bit more than you would make sure you're not scowling. But it's been in real time, a really interesting, well, it's been a really interesting time period. And one of the things that's come from that is like, how do we figure out how to engage virtually now? And what does that look like? And then I think, what does this look like going forward? I think as Lauren and I, this is one of the questions that we really have been sitting with a lot. What does life, creativity look like? Our sector, you know, broadly speaking, when things start to open up, how can we hold on to the things that we think are really valuable right now that were, quote unquote, impossible to do two months ago to make the world, the sector a better place so that it's more inclusive, people can thrive. And that's one of the really promising things, I think, that we have an opportunity to come out of this with. Also really challenging as we're all going through this as human beings and just the uncertainty of life and what's happening to sort of hold these at the same time. I mean, obviously what's hard is we don't know what the other side of this is going to look like at all. So to sort of guess what anybody's going to do in it, it's hard. But I think the opportunity here, and, and you know, we talk about Creative Sprint, and when we do them, we usually do this 30-day length of them. And, and part of that is because of that connection to this idea of habit forming. And I've been thinking about a lot about the fact that this is happening long enough that we can develop new habits within it. Because if it was two weeks, we'd go back to normal. But with many months of it, I feel like, hey, these will become ingrained things. And the ingrained things that are real good opportunities, right, which is like, hey, we've been really like, no, this has to happen in person. Well, guess what? It doesn't. Every job can suddenly be done virtually. And look, people aren't going to be able to get their work done. They can. And then they can have a much better home work-life balance that was impossible for people. And I think not everybody wants to be home all day, with, especially if their kids are home all day too, in those circumstances. But that has given people the ability to see like, gee, you know, on the day, I just heard from somebody who said, I might not be sick enough to take a sick day, but I might work from home that day. That's going to make their life a lot better to be able to have that flexibility questioning some of the choices that were maybe arbitrary or based on somebody else's other needs. So it's a great time for, it's always a good time for questioning if you ask me, but obviously there's certain things that are set in place for ease. We call it expanding your defaults, but there's certain default settings that we use for ease, which we need to just kind of have things be a little smooth in our day, not think about every single thing. And right now a time where we're being forced to actually like, I've been thinking about this, like behavior change is very, very hard. It's a whole science of studying adult behavior change. Very difficult to do. Got to intentionally do it. Right now, we're being forced to change so many behaviors, so many habits, so many daily things. It's obviously very taxing on the brain and exhausting. I think a lot of brain resources of humans right now, for sure. But I do think once you then you've established a new habit, it's very hard to go back. So mm -hmm. I think about that. Some of the habits, once they're changed and established here, 
which ones are going to stay? Because I had a friend last night who was like, oh, everything's going to go back six months. Everyone's going to be like, da, da, da. and I was like, no, man, no, it's not because people don't switch like that. Yeah. And to build on what Mike is saying, like we see this all the time with our work. If we're going to a space and introducing the artist set of tools to people who have not been practicing them and haven't been utilizing their lives, there's a lot of resistance. And we set up things to make it easier for people to try and take risks, but it's scary for people and people don't like to get out of their comfort zone. And literally we'll say to people all the time, like leadership's gonna have to make this a requirement for you to do it. Well, guess what? Now it's a requirement. Everything's required. We all have to do it. No matter how much you didn't wanna do it or learn Zoom or whatever it is, you gotta do it. And so that's been really cool to see that correlation there between what we were already doing and that people are forced to give this stuff a try. And when you try it, you go, oh, it wasn't bad as I thought, or, oh, I learned something, or I gained this, wow, this is a cool thing. I'm more creative now. I didn't realize. It's being like, what limitations really are limitations? Which ones are arbitrary? Which ones are real? Which ones maybe aren't that limiting after all? And we say limitations, we should embrace limitations as part of our work. And the reason we say that is that like, really it's the boundaries that create creativity. It's the things that you bounce off of and push off of that give you those interesting responses. And so it's like, this is just one more of those box like sides. We have one question about creativity from our coworker, Milando, who we need to give a big shout out to. Milando has been live tweeting all of our episodes for us. So I'll make sure we, we slide in Milando's question here. This is specifically to Noah. My introduction to your work was your artwork on Instagram, which I think is awesome. I'm a painter too, and was wondering what is the inspiration for your style and color palette? And we're going to go with that question. Then Lauren and I will share with everyone as well as you two, our Netflix series. And then we land the plane. So oh my Noah, gosh. we yeah. can talk for another hour. I, you know what? I we really could. Yeah, Tim's um, not going to let us. I mean, we okay. won't, but we could. <laughs> Tim is going to use the powers of God to rip us apart. Again. Okay, fine. Yeah. We'll so let's go um, with Milano's question. Milano, yeah. thank you for that wonderful and very kind question. As an artist, I work with these days mostly everyday materials, and I'm always just experimenting and practicing, trying different things. And one of the things that I developed was this idea of working with clothing to make portraiture. And so I started using clothing to do it. And when I did that, clothing comes in certain range of colors. Obviously, it seems like every color, but when you get down to it, like the clothing that I would collect would be these sort of bright, colorful things, and then this sort of whatever blacks and tans and stuff. So that would become my palette just because of what I had to work with. And after I did a few of those, I really liked that palette. And then I realized when I was going to do some painting that I wanted to stick with the palette that I developed because I like the fact that when I've got this one set of colors, if I'm doing portraiture, which I like to focus on, it stops me about skin tone and it becomes this sort of the same color palette for everybody. And so no matter whose portrait I'm doing, they all have the same set of colors to create them. And I really like that. And I realized that part of what's happening when I'm doing this work, and I do this when I work with stickers as well, because stickers come in these really bright color palettes too. So it's a similar one in terms of all these really intense colors being used to make maybe more subtle colors or colors that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to combine into. But when I do that, I realized recently that I'm really seeing things in black and white and gray, basically, that I translate color from hue to value. I think that's the right transition there. Yeah. So it's basically light to dark rather than blue or red or yellow, et cetera. And so that's what's happening in my head when I make those pieces. Nice. Thanks for that. Milano, thank you for the question. All right. So let's land the plane. If your life right now were a Netflix show or series, what would it be called? Who wants to go first? You guys have an idea? I'll do one. Dance like three or four of your friends are watching on Zoom. (laughs) Mine's a rip on a well-known show. Now it's called Who Wants to Be an Introvert? (laughs) (laughs) Lauren? Mine is, first of all, shot in all black and white. It's a play on the first three letters in isolation, and it is in search of isolation. 
because I am really accustomed to spending time by myself during the day. I'm now sharing the house with people I love very much, but who also are working my very last nerve just because they're here. They're great people. I just yeah. don't want to be around anyone. Get out of my house. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm in search of isolation, really. All I could come up with is this chair. It would be shot pretty much like you're seeing now, just me sitting in this chair for 30 to 60 minutes each episode, maybe engaging with someone online or just staring at the monitor. Love um, of chair. Yeah. Sort, feels... of a, sort of a Warhol-esque kind of. Uh, yeah, like, like it. <laughs> exactly, Noah. That's exactly what I was going for. Yeah. No, you one up to mine. I just noticed on our thing. You wrote, so you think you can dance with three or four of your friends watching on Zoom? <laughs> Well, you know, I think that moment right there is how we should end this episode. It has been an absolute joy to get to spend 45 minutes with both of you. Thank you so much for taking time in your day to share the creative prompt and to share the time. Yeah, love it. Anytime. Continue the Work Should Suck live adventure with us on our next episode when we're joined by Caroline Woolard. Miss us in the meantime? You can download more Work Should Suck episodes from your favorite podcasting platform of choice and rewatch Work Should Suck live episodes over on workshouldsuck.co. If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or five stars or phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. If you didn't enjoy this chat, please tell someone about it who you don't like as much. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.